To counter climate change, some environmentalists have pushed for a market-based policy called carbon pricing. The idea is by charging companies for their emissions, they will pump out fewer greenhouse gases into the atmosphere. This week, that idea might have a new, unexpected ally. The Wall Street Journal reports that the oil industry's biggest lobbying group, the American Petroleum Institute, may endorse carbon pricing. The American Petroleum Institute is the largest oil and gas lobby there is. It's been around for 100 years and has collected an immense amount of power during that time. And how big of a deal is it that the API is thinking about supporting this measure? It's a pretty big deal. When you think about where API has been, even just a decade ago, this marks a huge shift. That's our colleague Tim Pucco. He says that about a decade ago, the API had fought to kill the same kind of policy it's now proposing. Essentially, the group is reversing its old stance. And this, Tim says, is a sign of how the oil industry's power in Washington is eroding. Welcome to The Journal, our show about money, business, and power. I'm Kate Leinbaugh. It's Friday, March 5th. Coming up on the show, what's behind the oil lobby's reversal on a key climate policy? This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. The American Petroleum Institute is one of the biggest and most powerful lobbying groups in Washington. It collects dues from hundreds of oil and gas companies, from small-town shale producers in Texas to multinational corporations like Exxon and Chevron. And then API uses the member dues to then go to bat for the oil and gas industry in D.C., to go to bat for political candidates that support the oil and gas industry, to message with the public on why it should support the oil and gas industry or certain things that are going to benefit the oil and gas industry. It does all those things. And so they have a tremendous influence on what becomes law and what becomes regulation. The API also works to block legislation that could be harmful to its members. And for many years, one policy proposal that was especially concerning to the API was carbon pricing. The key is that it puts a cost on polluting. And the goal is that by taxing or pricing carbon in that way, it creates an incentive for polluters to produce less of it. You have a reason to cut your emissions. And so, you know, if oil is still your thing, oil produces much more emissions, you're going to fight that tooth and nail. And so, yeah, so API was, in their traditional, aggressive way, the loudest opponent to all this. And that opposition really came out in 2009. The idea of carbon pricing had been growing in popularity. 
And President Barack Obama sought to build on that momentum by proposing a carbon pricing policy known as cap and trade. So I ask this Congress to send me legislation that places a market-based cap on carbon pollution and drives the production of more renewable energy in America. That's what we need. It's a market-based program, very similar, kind of built on what was used in the Reagan and Bush era to address acid rain. Government gives companies the right to basically pay for what they pollute. You're trading credits. You're trading essentially the right to pump out a certain amount of emissions. And so, you know, the thought was, if you address environmental issues that are priorities important to the left and to Democrats, but you do it with market-based principles that are important to conservatives and Republicans. You can get a bipartisan solution to a big problem. But even though supporters of the bill hoped this compromise would win enough support, the bill still faced some strong opposition, especially from the API. They fight against the bill pretty hard. They're out there trying to get people from their own industry, from member companies, into rallies, opposing it. Save our jobs! Save our jobs! Save our jobs! The API created an organization called Energy Citizens that held rallies in about 20 states. Flyers for the events argued that the proposed bill would cost 2 million American jobs and raise gas prices to $4 a gallon. One of the speakers at a rally in Houston had a message for Congress. You stand up and defend this country with a good energy plan. We're looking at you, tear up the 1,100 pages, start over, and think about the people of the United States. This aggressive lobbying against cap-and-trade worked. Obama's bill was dropped. In years after that, what has the API's approach to climate change been? There were a lot of intervening years where they kind of rode the crest of the wave of their victory, you know, continued fights against cap and trade or honestly like any type of policy that was meant to reduce the power of the oil industry, just an all-out war against any type of effort to reel them in. And they spent a ton of money to promote political candidates that were on their side during those battles. Candidates who they could count on to take an aggressively pro-oil stance. The API made huge donations to the Republican Party and supported individual candidates like Orrin Hatch, Scott Brown, and Mitch McConnell. Then, in the 2016 election, a new champion of the oil industry came along, Donald Trump. I think the federal government should get out of the way The federal government is in the way. We have so much potential energy that people wouldn't even believe it. Trump's election was a big win for the oil industry. Within months of taking office, Trump signed an executive order to ease regulations on offshore oil drilling and set out to repeal federal limits on carbon emissions at power plants. But at the same time, public opinion around the impact of fossil fuels started shifting. I think one of the important things that happened over the 2010s is that public perception on climate change evolved dramatically. First, the science became more conclusive that it was real and that human emissions are a part of what causes that. 
And there's a lot of public polling data that suggests over the course of that decade, the public became more convinced around the science of climate change. And you start to see, especially in 2017, Hurricane Harvey, the massive floods in Houston, and other extreme weather events that happened over that time. More people started to report in public polling that they had seen the effects of climate change in real life. And then there were the 2018 midterms. So in 2018, the progressive wing is pushing the idea that we can no longer ignore climate change. We as a society, the U.S. government can no longer ignore it. It has to be a central part of the platform. Our nation and our world are in a climate crisis, but we have the opportunity to turn the ship around. But we can only do it if we come together and embark upon an ambitious legislation known as the Green New Deal. Across Democratic primaries, progressives won. And in many ways, it pushed the Democratic Party to take climate change more seriously than it has ever before, certainly at least since, I'd say, going back to 2008, 2009. And so that is the new political reality. And it became much harder for the oil lobby to fight that battle. And around the same time, things inside the API started to change. That's after the break. This episode is brought to you by Global X ETFs. Buzz around artificial intelligence is seemingly everywhere. Is your portfolio keeping up? Consider the Global X Artificial Intelligence and Technology ETF, ticker AIQ, which invests in dozens of stocks at the leading edge of this disruption. Investing involves risk, including possible loss of principal. Technology companies can be affected by rapid product obsolescence and intense industry competition. Before investing carefully, consider the fund's objectives, risks, charges, expenses, and more in the full or summary prospectus at GlobalXETFs.com. Read carefully. Distributed by SEI Investments Distribution Company. This episode is brought to you by Indeed. We're driven by the search for better, but when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash journal. Terms and conditions apply. In January of 2018, the American Petroleum Institute's longstanding CEO announced his departure. The group's new chief was Mike Summers. He is a former advisor to John Boehner, the former House Speaker from Ohio. He's still a Republican, of course, but somebody who has a history working more with moderate Republicans and oftentimes working across the aisle. And so when Mike Summers comes in, in 2018 and into 2019, API, which had remained kind of silent on climate change for the years before when they really didn't have to say anything, now that the political landscape is shifting, their voice on climate change starts shifting. Well, look, um, we're for making sure the environment is preserved as well. And if you think about the record of this industry, really, in the course of the last 10 years, emissions continue to go down in this country. In fact, Summers acknowledges that climate change is real. And instead of making the case that government shouldn't do anything about climate change, starts making the case that oil and gas companies can be a part of the solution to climate change. 
Summer's approach caused a rift inside the API. Some big global companies like BP, Shell, and Total that had already started expanding into renewable energies supported it. But while there are major companies at API who can adjust, who have the capital to shift into cleaner energy businesses, there are many companies in API who do not have those options. Companies that are known as the independents, who are oil companies at the core, and they have wanted API to stick to its more traditional positions, fighting tooth and nail to defend the position of oil, to defend its power, to keep government regulation as a light of touch as possible. But that position looks less tenable now that there's a new guard in Washington. With Democrats controlling Congress and the White House, the Biden administration is pushing for an ambitious climate agenda, one that prioritizes renewable energies over fossil fuels. The Biden administration has proposed a $2 trillion spending plan that is largely devoted to energy infrastructure and trying to fund technological breakthroughs that allow the growth of cleaner energy businesses in the U.S. And then they want to back that up with major regulation, much more aggressive standards through the EPA and other administrative agencies. Oil hasn't just lost friends in Washington. It's been losing friends in the business community as well. General Motors sets a goal of making the vast majority of its vehicles electric by 2035. Some of the biggest players in solar technology are actually established traditional utility companies. Outside of oil, you've seen this ripple through the corporate world. The utilities, the electric utilities, have tried to shift towards cleaner sources of energy than fossil fuels. They've lowered their emissions and made pledges to reduce them even further, to zero in many cases. Car companies are following. And so the auto lobby in D.C. is very much behind electric vehicles right now. Utility, electric utilities and Detroit are two of the most steadfast allies that the oil lobby has had. And so you see, if oil can't count on them, there's a big question on who oil can count on. Which brings us to this past week. After some heated conference calls between members, the API has drafted a statement saying it supports carbon pricing as, quote, the primary government climate policy instrument to reduce CO2 emissions. How genuine do you think this shift is? Or is it politically expedient? I don't know how genuine it is. It certainly is politically expedient. There's no doubt about that. They're looking at a world in which a lot of people have turned against them. So if you're an oil and gas company that wants to be able to operate in a free market system, what do you do when the people controlling your government don't believe that that's a viable option anymore? You just do not have a whole lot of options left. They kind of got backed into this corner. And so is this a genuine position or is this an attempt to reframe the debate? I don't know that that distinction really matters. They're absolutely trying to mitigate a worst case scenario. But Washington seems to be moving toward that worst-case scenario for oil. Many climate activists and lawmakers are pushing for bigger changes than what the API is proposing. The world in D.C. right now is not about carbon pricing solutions. There's a thought that, you know, we've tried market solutions in the past. 
a lot of times they hurt minority and poor communities the worst. They give polluters that exist primarily in those communities a license to keep polluting. So there's been an attitude that you know, among the progressives, among liberals, that society can't keep pursuing those types of solutions. And so even if the API embraces carbon pricing, even if their new CEO says climate change is real, the group may still be in for a fight in Washington. For API, this is about defending the oil industry's right to exist. These are still oil and gas companies. They can't offer not to do what their core business is. Most of the API members, maybe even the vast majority, are companies that at their heart and soul are an oil company and will always be an oil company. They don't have any other option. Right now, there is a question about whether there is room for oil production and consumption in a world in which the Earth continues to warm. And for API, you know, that's an existential question both for its members and its own self, its own organization. They have to convince the general public that oil can still be part of the future, and they also have to convince Washington to create a system in which oil is still allowed to be part of the future. That's all for today, Friday, March 5th. The Journal is a co-production of Gimlet and The Wall Street Journal. Your hosts are Ryan Knudsen and me, Kate Leinbaugh. The show is produced by Catherine Brewer, Gerard Cole, Pia Godkari, Martin Kessler, Annie Minoff, Laura Morris, Afif Nasuli, Ricky Nevetsky, Enrique Perez, Sarah Platt, Willa Rubin, Annie Rose Strasser, and Rob Zipko. Our engineers are Griffin Tanner and Nathan Singapok. Our theme music is by So Wiley. Additional music this week from Emma Munger, Peter Leonard, So Wiley, and Blue Dot Sessions. Fact-checking by Nicole Pasulka and Matthew Wolf. Special thanks to Ted Mann for his reporting on this story. Thanks for listening. See you Monday.